I think there is a role for those that would advocate on the outside. But if the machine works for those on the inside, then why would they change it? Now, you need to be in to actually make meaningful change. That is my theory. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. On the 21st of July, sadly, a young teenager was fatally stabbed in St. Paul's and died in hospital. His name is Eddie King, Mathemba Canuthia, and uh, he is one of uh, several young people that have um, been stabbed fatally and died in Bristol in recent years. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, we talk to the founder and CEO of award-winning youth empowerment organisation, Babasa. It's Poku Ose. So what does Babasa mean? It means ordinary people coming together to act as a support bridge for those in need. And the organisation supports young people from low income and ethnic minority households to achieve their professional ambitions. We talk about how the community, how our families and how youth organisations can start to tackle knife crime effectively in the city. Poku himself came to England from Ghana in 2008. So Ghana, what's it like in Ghana at the moment? What was it like growing up there? And how does um, his uh, experiences influence and shape what he does in his role for Babasa? And finally, how do we shape Bristol? Do we need to work closely with big institutions to try and change them from within? Or do we rattle the cage from outside? Where is the line? Enjoy this one. It's a good chat. Hi, Poku. Hello, Neil. First and foremost, you've recently received, for your work with Babasa, which we'll go on to talk about shortly, received a, an award, Cambridge Social Innovation Prize for your services to the community. Well done. How, how did that come about then? Yeah, th- th- thanks for, first and foremost for that. So the Social Innovations Prize is something that Cambridge University give out every year up to five people but often it's sort of one or two or three people a year Mm. it tends to be london and sort of cambridge and sort of oxfordy type centric um so bristol bristol burst in and won it this year then yeah yeah exactly so i think that was i I was saying that i think it's a win a broader win for bristol did you have to go to the university to receive it yeah what's it like there i've never been it's quite grand i I would imagine it is quite grand. You know, they still have porters, you know, loitering around, you know, just, just sit around who you would greet you, said, yeah. ask you what you're doing and sort of point and stuff like that. So it's a bit, it's very traditional, very, still yeah. very conservative, very grand, like you rightly said, but also quite nice. So I was there in, in and they also allowed me to stay at one of their plush holes. So we, and we had lunch and we had, we had dinner and, you know, on both sets, sort of different people with magnificent titles to their names showing up so i it, it what was, was that quite... like for you then that you know a lad that came over from ghana to be in you know the cambridge and oxford are the elitist sort of establishments with prime ministers and leaders and captains of industry how did that feel for you being there um in part surreal really when i got the notes that i'm one of the recipients because this year was five i, I couldn't help but think of my mum really you know because growing up it was one of those things that 
you hear from your mom that, oh, you know, one of my kids may may go to um, Cambridge or university or, and, and, and they were saying it out, you know, not, not because they thought that that was possible, but because yeah. they've heard it, because obviously they grew up during the colonial times, right? So it, it was one of those sort of, to them, that was, you know, the definition of success. And, and I always say that to West Africans, the idea of, you know, Cambridge and Oxford is almost equivalent to someone being a millionaire or, or if not more. Let's talk a bit about, you said, you mentioned obviously, you know, Ghana is the West African country, one of the most richest countries in West Africa. Yeah. It's interesting because if you live in London, you know, there is quite a big West African population. There isn't in Bristol, is it? Well, I'm kind of interested in this because we hear a lot and on this show, we spoke to loads and loads of people from the black community, but it tends to be kind of second, third generation Windrush or Somali, very rarely West African. Yeah. And I, and I think um, part of that, is just history because even when i go home back home today you know the, 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 my aunties will say that oh oh poco has arrived from london you know yeah, that's that's what, that's what that's what they will all say no matter how you correct them even if you okay. were just, oh, it's bristol they will say oh he lives at a place in london called bristol right whether someone is thinking about traveling to the uk you know for economic purposes or you know for whatever that for education the name that people know it's not even uk it's london it's london yeah uh, did you go to london as well or did you just come to bristol yeah my cousin was in london so yeah my, my first visit to the uk was to london if it wasn't for my brother who got a scholarship in bristol then i, I wouldn't have even known the name bristol let alone come to bristol to visit okay and you came in 2008 is that right yeah that's right yeah to 2008 and, and how, how old were you when you came I think 20, 20, 20, 25 or 26. 25, so I was quite old. But before so you had I, your formative years then were, I mean, that's quite interesting because that's also slightly different for some, some people as well, growing up in Ghana and then, and then coming to Bristol. What's the sort of amount of Ghanaians or even West Africans in Bristol? I think at the moment, surprisingly, there's a, there's, you know, there's a bit more. So for example, if I was to look at the Ghana Association, for example, they, they are in sort of the 300s, which I, yeah. which I thought was a bit surprising, but they don't, no. they don't come together as, as a unit as much as perhaps the, the Kenyans do or, you know, s some other nationalities do. So yeah. it just means that it's just fragmented. But often I can tell if someone is going in because of their surname when I see you it. You can. Uh, okay. And obviously Ghana now is becoming big in the music world, isn't it? People like... Stormzy, Stormzy, Dave, Wiley. God, who, who's the who's the Afrobeats guy? World famous. Burner Boy. Burner Boy. Burner Boy. Yeah. Who gets more people listening to him than any artist in the world? People don't, in terms of downloads, people don't realize that. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely a global star. I think I saw you know this guy was talking about in the US. You can have Burner Boy filling up Madison Square Garden. Drake will fill up Madison Square Garden. But then you can go to Portugal or you can go to Africa and he'll still fill up the biggest stadium. But some of these superstars wouldn't be able to do the same if, if yeah. they were to go across continents. For sure. Um, and For I, sure. I, Which kind of flips it on the head where people would always yeah. see sort of like, you know, music and pop has been dominated by Americans and the British is actually since, I guess, things not being about specific charts, but being about, you know, you know, online views and online listens. It's completely changed yeah. the game. It has, it has. Burner Boy is um, Nigerian. So the Nigerians definitely, when it comes to music, talking about culture, 
definitely their footprints on you know in the world is quite significant. Ghanaians do influence, particularly when when you talk about culture. Yeah. But it tends to not to be in the numbers like how you all have with Nigerians. Right. Okay. More 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 of impacts, I find. But what what was life like for you growing up in Ghana? Growing up is it's a it's a very it's a very interesting one where Mum and dad really didn't have much, but it's a case where uh, my mum and two siblings, they came from the village to the big city. And my two uncles, that's my mum's siblings, did really, really well for themselves. And on my dad's side, my dad, because of being an Ashanti and technically kind of coming from the Ashanti's sort of royal family. So he didn't himself didn't have much. But the name of Sepipim means something in that in that part of in that part of Ghana. Let me just jump in there because some people might you may not know about the kind of the, the tribal element of you said Shanti. Just to, just explain a bit about what is uh, Ashanti. Sorry, the Ashanti. Yeah, it's, it's the largest tribe in in, in Ghana, isn't it? The Ashantis are, are are the largest. In South Africa will be the Zulus. Is 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 the largest? And and back then before. Ghana was constituted, or should I say, colonized, or before colonization. So there, there was the Ashanti Empire, which in itself stretched right through to Seychelles, if people know where that is, mm-hmm. on the African continent. Um, so they, they are they are fairly influential in terms of a tribe, and they are quite significant because of their size now. And when you came here, you know, you, you worked. For a bit, but it was like only a sort of couple of years in that you set up Babasa. That's right. Um, why did you set up Babasa, and just what was it like in the early days? Because I think you've obviously become an organisation that's very well known and recognised. And as we spoke about earlier, you, you know, won awards for for your role, and it's seen as a quite a successful organisation in the city. But it, you did literally start it from kind of nothing. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. So I mean, if if you remember, so this was to. 2009, there was the you know the credit crunch. We tipped into one of the starkest of recession at the time, and unemployment was so high at the time in in the UK, right? But this was when I had formally moved to the UK, and I was living in Easton at the, one of the streets off Stapleton Road. So I just saw young people compiling on the street, and it, it was almost like watching a bit of a documentary. You can see them, you know cracking jokes and the next you know minutes you know mean mugging and then the next minute you can you can tell that they're getting themselves into doing things that they shouldn't be doing yeah and i, I there was something i guess because i had come from ghana and I, I i always felt that you know if you put your mind to something you can do it i had that level of hope yeah. for them even though the, the economy or should i say society was quite dire and I, I just, I just started to speak to them, just, just, just talk to them to say, hey, what is it that you want to do? We can do something together. And I, I got really, really interested and vested, and I was spending more time, sort of engaging them or talking to them than anything else. Now, there was, you know, that time there was not really a name like social enterprise. It, it, you know, it was something that was brewing from the states in terms of a name. I didn't know anything about charity as it was, but I knew that I wanted to do something now in that space and something to give people hope. 
yeah. and and become more of a, a support bridge for others. And that's probably and where it's slightly different. I mean, I've got you know, as you know, about growing working with, with young people before I was in the media. Where it is slightly different, and there's a bit of a gap. You sort of find a bit of a gap in the market. Is a lot of youth provision is around engaging in activities or supporting into apprenticeships or or specifically one-to-one targeted work to do with getting back into school or careers advice but what you kind of created this space where you're supporting young people particularly post 16 into from in the city communities Mm. into qualifications and into employment doing that bit but Mm. also doing the bit at the other end which is having conversations with employers and institutions in this in the city to actually be prepared to take a risk or be prepared to offer opportunities to young people. That mm. second bit is is a very slightly different thing, I think, than a lot of other people were doing in Bristol. Because we've always got this stage, we, we get all these young people ready mm. Mm. and then there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. So the way I look at it, if you were to leave capitalism to itself, right, I I, I do think that the byproducts will be inequality. So, you know, how can you course correct it at a city level? But also, are there anything that you can do to tinker with the system in itself, you know, at least at a city level? Otherwise, you'll keep spitting out the issues and and we'll be at the tail end to respond. So for me, I just saw it as the source of the problem to be solved. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to change the whole of capitalism because it will take more than myself or Babasa or indeed, you know, just people in Bristol. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is to be so intentional and, you know, make the benefits so aware to employers, you know, this is why it's good, it's good for you to do it. This is what you will get as a return. And more importantly, we are here to actually help you look at your policies. We're here to help you look at a social value program that actually is meaningful rather than you going to just paint. And, and is that more, are people more receptive to that now? Than they were in 2010, yeah. I think increasingly people are not not as fast as anyone would hope, but I think increasingly because of events that have happened, whether it is George Floyd, whether it is Colston, has made businesses certainly in Bristol increasingly become a bit more attentive. And you have that. So the kind of the the idea or the sort of philosophy is is around youth empowerment, which is about creating leaders from specific communities to become role models and then connecting them with a mentor from a particular sector that they're interested in getting into. And then at the end of that, having employers that are prepared to offer those opportunities. So there's a kind of pipeline for that. And is the idea then that I guess that will change the the mindset and the culture of those organizations and institutions. So eventually this will just become part of their general practice and their recruitment policy you know, anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's how, how do we, you know, change some of the structures and, and systems. So, you know, with almost all the businesses that we've supported, you know, we try to build a capacity in-house. So when you look at them after we, you know, we've worked with them, what they will have is actually some tweaks to the way that they recruit the channels that they use. When you look at them is changes to how they induct people to make that mm-hmm. more if you look at them, is how they, they support that candidate, certainly during um, probation. Now, they may continue to use us, but you will realize that we would have built some, some capacity 
within those organizations that they don't they don't if they didn't want to use us they don't have to use us and which allows us to move on to other organizations and and i think that is important you know to make you know because what was the purpose of the basa right you know the purpose is to ensure that every every young person irrespective of their background is able to realize their enterprise or, or employment ambitions so if that is the aim then it's it's about building capacity within the young person, but also building capacity in, in in those economic engines that offer opportunity for the system to work better. And and I think what's making it work and becoming slightly cyclical at the moment is that some of those employers that we supported, you know, the last four years or so, uh, since we started that arm of the organisation, are seeing fruits. So, so they themselves are becoming advocates. You know, to other organisations around them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so That's it right. starts to happen organically once you set that tone in place. One of the interesting things, I think, for me, for, for Bassa, is that it can be and has been almost equally praised but also criticised by other people for for the very thing it does, which I think is interesting because you, there's a tendency, I think, to particularly young black youth to have this always this focus on problem solving or this focus on antisocial behavior or this focus on, on knife crime or gang violence. It's always that stuff, you know, which, and people do work and do effectively great work in those fields. However, you do have a tendency to work with young people that I would say are a bit further along the line and more yeah. ready and able, and they may have come through that or they may not, but they're kind of, I guess, what you call more socially mobile young black people coming through. And some people say, oh, you're only working with the nice kids. You're only working with the good kids. But that kind of statement almost implies as if, you know, that there is a sector that's not been focused or given importance. Does that make sense? No, no, it does. It does. And I I, I think um, it's on two counts, really. And it's it's a difficult balance for us. So people wouldn't know, you know, so if you take our support program, if we take you know, I mean, he's, he's, it'll be coming out of the case study, so it'll be public. Take out Jaro, you know, there's a boy who actually got, got knifed, right? And he himself was in those activities. Yeah. What people wouldn't see when Jaro's case study come out, I think it's coming out next week or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what they wouldn't know or see is that we've been working with Jaro for about two years, anchoring him, giving him access to the counseling support needs and doing all that work that is needed um you know for him to get to where he's at where he we will then give him access to employment opportunities and and stuff like that so the case that it will say that someone along the lines of you know i used to have a bit of a rough time but through babasa i've got an employment so that's what people see and yeah. i think that feeds into the problem and now the others the other thing is unfortunately because we use our social media to rather promote the strength, the skills, the talent that exists in young people by showcasing that on our platform, it, it almost always makes it feel like, oh, they're all really nice kids anyway, or like you say, they're yeah. socially mobile. Because if we were to promote that, oh, this, you know, these are, you know, five young people who are, you know, drugs or have been abused or whatever, then, it, yeah. you know, the employer who is looking at our channels thinking that can I work with these guys, they they will see it as too much of a risk, right? So they are not they are unlikely to take the chance. But if we say we focus on the talent and and the abilities and yeah. the potential within these young people, then then we have more of a chance in in brokering those opportunities for them. You accept that institutions that could be you know could be public sector, could be private, could do more. 
yeah yeah do you think also the wider community and yeah. and family could also do more yeah absolutely you know absolutely i i, I do and I, I was talking about this just friday you know with the demise of you know eddie there at the boiler unfortunately lost his life yeah. due to yeah. that crime. we consistently are reaching out we try to reach out to community groups to say that let us be your main pathway progression pathway for the young people that you're supporting at times even the people turning up for meetings or working with us is is a headache but once there's a stabbing right since friday there's been three three community meetings held now how i wish that we didn't have to wait for that to happen mm. rather, it's always rea- reactive isn't it rather than being proactive yeah, which i think is it's such a shame and such a loss, right? But if even these three meetings that's happened, and I'm going to another one tonight, if yeah. one of them was to focus that, not on what was wrong with the system, was it, but actually what can we do for our kids? How do we mobilize mm. the resources that it already exists? Yeah. How, how do we organize ourselves to ensure that we are, you know, I, I think there's so much that we could have done, right? But yeah. so, so the simple answer for me is yes, we need to get organized and, you know, people who put themselves as speakers for, for the community. We, we need to recognize that and, and get mm. more aligned. But I also do think absolutely that businesses have got a role to play. You know, Bristol, mm. my goodness. I mean, whether politically, you know, we, we, Malcolm X could be a state of the arts, you know, arts and cultural center, right, mm. for black excellence. But look, it's still in tatters, you know, and I know that people will probably rip mm. me for saying that it's in tatters, but, I, you know, it breaks my heart. There's a tendency to to sort of chuck everything on institutions, on structural inequality, on stuff like that. When and you said yourself at the beginning about coming from a family that you always felt that you could achieve, you were hopeful, and that was what started Babasa. Yeah. But actually, there is that thing around the role of parents enabling their young people to see and believe that they can achieve anything they want to as well. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to shy away from that a bit. Because it's not finger pointing. I just think it's it's so, you know that that's part of the ecosystem as well. But I don't hear many conversations about that so much these days. So so I I, I do think I, you know the parent has always got the ultimate role, right? Yes, you know social media, internet has made it harder in terms of influences on your child's life. But the values, the core values that you emanate uh, as a parent, we tell them what we want to tell them, but they learn more from what we do. It's a fact, right? So I recognize that. But the reason why I think that should be taken in equal measure to our surroundings or influences from the environment is because if your mom and dad are doing the cleaning, they themselves, let's say they're doing cleaning work, right? They're not in illegal trade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they themselves perhaps had some aspirations uh, or had some specific talent other than cleaning that they couldn't achieve, right? So they are living with some elements that they couldn't fulfill their own potential. And you see that, you see a lot of that in low-income households, right? Yeah, sure. Now, the energy or the, the the deeper belief that they will convey that you can achieve whatever is in itself is limited. Now, I'm not saying that that then makes it okay. No, but there's a degree of projection of, of that expectation. Of yeah. A, yeah, a degree of themselves having self-doubts about, about those things. And also, I, I honestly do think that if you don't have much to live on, mm. as we all know, that fosters a great deal of stress and frustration. 
And that too becomes everyday projection on, on the son's life. You're not there smiling, always saying that everything is fine. You're worried about yeah. the bills you are, and that, and that, and that comes through. So I yeah, take that sure. little measure. That, I fl- yeah. And I've kind of flipped that, I think, that the, the, the opposite side to that. So I want to talk a little bit about social mobility yeah. versus structural change, because I think there's a sort of big debate a little bit on the left about that. And in 2021, you launched a project to boost income of inner city households with, with, with the mayor. This is a quote from you in 24-7. This is an opportunity to stop inequality from getting steeper, because the more inequality we have, the more likely it is that Bristol and the Southwest does not become an attractive place. And it does not help us compete on a world world scale. Is there, I guess, social mobility is quite a sort of individualistic approach. What happens to the people that are left behind or the people that are still in the communities that haven't climbed the ladder? It's how at times what social mobility in itself means, right? And how at times it gets defined. Mm. So for me, social mobility is about enabling access to opportunities and supporting individuals to, to progress with that. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean environment flight, or should I say community flight. Now, of community course, people yeah. do make it, quote-unquote, income-wise. They often will buy a place somewhere else, particularly given how the education system works in the UK. They want to live in a postcode where they can send their kids to whatever school yeah. that's close by that's deemed to be good or whatever. And, Sometimes and I, depends on the community, actually, though, I think, with that. Uh, Some communities yeah. more than others, I think. British Pakistani communities have a sort of tendency to stay. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of the same place and build a community. So it's kind of different, isn't it? Where you could, I'm generalising now, that perhaps some more people from other South Asian communities would, no, would move, you know? Yeah, that's true. Now, I do think that what social mobility, it, it I, I don't think it necessarily preaches, you know, the, the values that w- when you make it, or it shouldn't, by definition, be about when you make it, leave the place that you, you are making it and don't contribute anything back to, to that. Mm. I think I think that's rather just values, right? So it comes back to what values are driving that, that individual who, who who is now taking on opportunities. Like, so me, whether I come from, you know, Bristol or I don't come from Bristol, Bristol is, is, my, is my second home now, right? And I'll be damned if tomorrow I become a millionaire, whatever that it is, you can be sure that I will still be contributing something back to the city or the areas that gave me something. So I think that yeah. speaks more to values. But people so it's that kind of tra- it's kind of like leaders with a, a lived experience and social consciousness of where they come from when they, you know, metaphorically rise up into you know a successful position will have an interest in, in supporting people like themselves. Does well, that, that, I understand that 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 whole kind of thing, but does that not also kind of indicate that there are winners and losers in this a little bit as well, and that, I think, or, that, or there are a certain type of young people that that will, you know, perhaps the more intelligent or the the, the stronger or the more resilient or, or 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 perhaps the people who have the greater possibility because of family networks or whatever. Does that would that not favour a certain type of young person over another, which by definition sort of makes it quite hierarchical? No, not 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 depending on it. It really depends on how how you do it. So, Ababasa, mm. we we don't say that. Oh, what grades did you get before we take you on? Or, you know, what what have you done before? Is come as you are, right? Whether you got all Fs, what whatever that it is. The key thing is what we're saying is that we are like an all weather runway. 
we, we will give you the inputs, not just the opportunity to progress, but the input for you to develop, build that sense of um, mm. soft skills that allows you to develop. And so long as you are, you know, we can work with you to be clear on your aspiration, we will then give you access to that opportunity for you to progress. So it's open to all. Now, of course, you will have some that would take opportunity, but I think people having the right to exercise the agency is equally as important, right? Yeah. Some may be ready, some are not ready. And that's why Babasa is still a voluntary organization. We, we ha- you know, we've never signed any agreements with, let's say, a school or a college and yeah. said, you know, by force, let your students come here. Because it doesn't work, right? So sure. some will take it, some wouldn't take it. But the, mm. the, the second thing, though, that we do is to ensure that that values that I was talking about is, is inculcated as much as possible. And here it's not, we're not talking about indoctrination, but to yeah. let them know the values of giving back, you know, the, the values of fairness, that, you know, the values of respect. You know, we, we try, that's how at times someone will say that, oh, you're a Babasa young person. What is a Babasa young person? It's because it's more than the opportunity that we've given them. We've also made them know the importance of, of not just giving back, but working and uplifting the communities that they come from. Sure. On a broader philosophical sort of political sense, though, isn't that the kind of, yeah, you can embed those kind of values and embed that. But when people sometimes get into a sort of more loftier position, you know, the volivants start to taste nice and, you know, the champagne and, you know, the money. And and it does change people. You know, you look at history, you look at, you know, political parties, people, the whole you know, man to pig, pig to man thing from Animal Farm, where suddenly yeah. people get a taste or influence and power. How can you sort of ensure that that doesn't happen then? No, I, 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 I think, I think I, until we change the system, yeah, the likelihood of having, you know, the byproduct of haves and have nots, you know, if for me anyway, and this yeah. is my theory, I think it will stay the same. Jess pulls the chat for a bit to tell you about the Bristol Cable. We are a cooperative organisation, which means we have members and we want you to become one. If you jump onto the Bristol Cable website, you can find out how you can become a member. You can pay a pound, £2, £5, £10 a month, whatever, and you get a say in our structure. You can go to our AGMs, our events come up with ideas on stories for the newspaper guests for this show ideas for documentaries anything really so if you are interested then as i say jump on the bristol cable website and check out how you can get involved back to the chat so you you advocate for wanting the system to be changed then what what yeah oh, okay. absolutely. what does that look like into what so so the, you know People have talked about conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism. I, I really do think, you know, when you look at almost all aspects of our lives, right, it has been transformed. Nobody's willing to talk about capitalism and its flaws. Every time, even there's a conversation around, let's talk about capitalism, you're quickly branded a, a communist or, oh, oh my goodness, is it one of those, you know, you know, hardcore socialists? I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And I think until we talk about how corporate, and if you look at income, if you look at how corporation tax works, if you, there's little things that you can do to that system that totally transform how society works. 
And I, and I really do think that, you know, the, the time is coming. I have so much faith in the young people coming, you know, the generation, you know, behind us. Just because they have the critical mass and somehow they seem to embody the value of fairness, perhaps more than the generation. Is that because, is that, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I was talking to somebody about that this morning, about how, do you know, traditionally when people become older, they tend generally become a little bit more, I guess, centrist, even a bit more right wing because they get more comfortable with their environment and they, with their circumstances, sorry, and and maybe are less and, and, and more interested in affecting change in their family or, or your focus becomes smaller. And I think generally, if you look at voting patterns, people who start out left wing can increasingly become more right wing as they get older. That's changing yeah. now. And all the data is saying the opposite to that, because perhaps the reason that happened before is because each generation became richer than the next, you know, certainly in Western Europe. And yeah. what's happening now is there's an entire generation of young people under the age of 30 that it's impossible for them to buy houses. They can barely afford rent. The cost of living is going. It's actually that they are realising now the tail end, you know, as I think you're alluding to, is the fundamental flaw in capitalism yeah. is that once the wheels fall off and the losers become the majority, then people will start to look for more, you know, alternative means of, of political systems. No, absolutely. And I think that's social contracts that... You know, your offsprings or, or, or your children will be better off than you are. You know, it was broken about, I would say, about two de- decades ago because that, yeah. that hasn't been the situation. And mm-hmm. and, 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 and you, you have this class that's now rising up and, it, you know, they're not taking the education only through the educational system. They're picking the education from elsewhere, TikTok, what, what have you. And, and they have much more of a voice as well because they're able to organize, right? They organize, yeah. call it, you know, f- for all the wrongs that comes with counseling people, but they're able to organize and make their, you know, their voices felt. So yeah. that's what, for me, gives me the hope because, yeah. I, you know, we can't, it has a price. It, even the, the way our economic systems are designed to grow and what we praise our success on has a price, you know. Yeah. The idea of getting clean energy in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere has got a significant price in the Southern Hemisphere. And and all all these things need to be looked at because we are now one big global village. But how, I mean, I, and I was sort of probably going to push a little bit to, to, to challenge you on, on how I think that the model, which is around trying to make sure, you know, big corporations as well, big business corporations are, are more yeah. inclusive and recruit people from the communities in which you work. Yeah, is actually in effect sort of letting them off the hook a bit. They kind of have to pivot and, and move with the times. But there is a there is a sense of how I'll read, you know the, I'll read you the great Fred Hampton quote here. He says, "We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but we're going to fight it with solidarity." We say we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism. We're going to fight it with socialism. That's the that's the counter to this, isn't it? Is it by getting more black investment bankers or black venture cap you know venture capitalists? How is that actually really changing anything it's about it's about the ownership right so if you look at the trajectory you know if, if 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 so one thing right one thing is about okay you know are you feeding more people into the system that quote unquote is is broken i have a, a view that if you feed more and more people into the system that is broken that more and more people will start to have a sense of agency as as we begin to see, because you have more organizations now looking at how can I make my workplace inclusive and not just how do I just get represent, representation at my workplace. If you feed more and more people 
into the political system, then you start to have voices, as we're beginning to hear, mm. who stand up and say that, no, this this law needs to be looked at, whether it's child mortality, whether it's whatever. It's well, a- well, that can happen. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking upon it is yeah. that any, any radicalism that they may have had gets sanitized as they get swallowed up into the culture of the organization that they're in. You, you know, if I, if I give you an example, so I don't know, you have connections with Business West in the city, yeah. they're a local initiative of the World Economic Forum, mm. that you've got, you have these sort of bigger global events and, and, and things that, you, that you've gone to, that you know, the mayor has, and stuff, that, that you could argue that feed into the very foundation of what elitism is. So how can we how do we how can we get equality by working with and within those organizations rather than smashing them down? Yeah, and that's the thing, because you know, equality change, any change that has happened in a radical way, the aftermath is chaos. And you know, if you can look to history, if if there is a coup d'etat because the people wanted to be fed and the people were taking power also had the same morals. If you look at all the aftermaths, it's chaos. Now, I'm not saying that radical change then is not a good thing. I'm saying that radical change would only work, would would only work in almost very few circumstances, work properly in very few. What I think needs to be changed, what what I think works particularly if you have established institutions where power is concentrated so much mm. so much so that actually you can lose your lives depending on how you want to push yeah is is to recognize the nuance of 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 bringing up you know when i say i don't want people to take this the wrong way that i'm not advocating for radical radical sure. change i'm yeah. a, i'm I, just, I think it's just, a, sorry to jump in, I think it's just a slightly, it's a different strategy. I'm not, I'm not trying to have, have a go at you by saying it. I think that you are somebody, oh, no, 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 you know, no. you. so for example, you know, you sit on the, the West of England Regional Recovery Task Force. You're a board member of, of Quartet Foundation, which is directly connected to the Merchant Ventures. You sit on the Bristol City Council, City Funds and One Bristol. You're, yeah. you're, a, you're a founding curator for Global Shapers, which is part of the World Economic Forum. You're on the, you're, you know, your advisory board to the, the University of Bristol course. You're in a lot of what I would say is, you know, big mainstream institutions there. So clearly yeah. for you, you see going into those organizations to try and to try and change them or to try and tweak it a bit and doing it from the inside rather than the outside. And that is a, that is a position, isn't it? That is a strategy. Yeah, it is. And, I, and I, 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 I think there is a role for those that would advocate on the outside. But if the machine yeah. works for those on the inside, then why would they change it? Now, you need to be in to actually make, to, to, to make meaningful change. That is my theory. Some people wouldn't agree okay. with that. Yeah. And so, so picking up some of those few, for example, mm-hmm. If you take business west, I joined and now I'm pushing. No, I'm not even pushing. Now they've accepted that one of their strategic pillars should be on inequality. What are they doing about inequality in the city? Would yeah. you have had that five years ago? I don't know. But I know mm-hmm. that I yeah. tabled and I've insisted on it. And now they've agreed to it. If you were to look at the recovery task force that I that I sit on, if it wasn't for my view that it ought to be a community fund, which is not for new projects, which by should strengthen existing projects. That, you know, what was it? Was it five, five million yeah. that initially came? That now is going to be revisited, wouldn't have come. And that five million 
was specific because because worker will say that they don't do community really they're really for how businesses will grow so someone had to be in and advocate for them to direct resources to benefit our community so yeah. Personally, I feel that you oh, need and that, to be... And I guess that, and that's the argument. And it is, it is an argument that happens a lot on the left politically, you know, from, you know, new Labour, far left is happening now with a lot of sort of Starmer and uh, Corbynistas. It's is also quite loaded in the black community as well, very much so around kind of, you know, how, where, at what point do you, um, you know, the kind of Babylon thing where it's like, you know, should you be in these spaces trying to change them? Shouldn't we not be organising our own? So in some regards, you're kind of doing both though, aren't you? Because you are setting up, Babasa, which is about empowerment and bringing together young people from those communities. But you're also using that position to to push and lobby and be in the room on the other side. And, you know, you're in quite a lot of key um, institutions in the city. Yeah. And, and, I suppose that, and I suppose that the you can't have it both ways. You can't say there aren't enough people. There isn't enough. There isn't enough diversity in these elite spaces because they're all rich, old white people. Yeah. And then when and then when somebody is in there, then they get criticised for being in there. So you're a little bit damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. At times. Yeah. Do, do I, you feel that? Do you feel that as well sometimes? And oh, have yeah. you sensed that? And people even said that to you directly. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you get it. You know, I always say that as an individual, you, you you rather just have to know the values and your sense of purpose and and why you do what you do, right? But once you, if you've chosen to serve people, whether you like it or not, you are going to get attacked, right? Even attacked, not doing enough good at times. <laughs> not even that. You know, I don't let that worry me too much. So long as that, so long as I'm clear in my head, the role that I'm playing there. And actually, some of the places that you talked about, I had to step, you know, step back mm. because there are times where you will be in a room where people are open. I wouldn't say willing, open to change and at times you are in there that people aren't open and really they, they're just not hearing you so, and are you also sometimes invited into those places to be to be frank and do you feel that um and there is obviously a difference and you would sense it where you're there because really you can your your input is really appreciated and how you can change but also there are times when you could can you feel that other people could think you're just a token face so for me it's never, you know, so I, I always say that as a man or a woman or binary, you need to know what you want to achieve in life and then you let that direct you. Now, what I want to achieve in life is to be able to bring about equal opportunity, allow for some mobility and inclusion in society. I'm clear yeah. about that. So my work, I, I judge myself by that. So it means that if someone, if someone was to say, hey, can you come on this board? It's not because they are inviting me. It's because of what I think that I can influence or do on that board. So believe it or not, I, you know, if it, in about 100, 100 invites that come at me that can you join this panel? Can you join this? I decline. I would say I decline about 98%. Really? Why? Okay. The yeah. 2% is where I think that actually, if I'm able to shift, go in and shift this, it will benefit society. So I yeah. move on my terms. I've always moved on my terms. There was a really kind guy called Asif Khan. He used to, I don't know if you know Asif. Yeah, I know Asif, yeah. yeah. Before I, you know, I was, in, I was embarking on this work. He said, listen, because you're black, you know, some, you're going to have all sorts of people come at you to sit on boards. And my advice is don't, you know, don't do it, right? But I think he was right. And, and, he, and it started coming. And there was one I remember for the council then, you know, Children Attainment Board. Now, I wanted to understand how the city works. 
but the guy almost went as close as saying that we just want a black face in the you know on on the board without saying it. And I had to evaluate to say that how do I better know how they're making decisions for young people? So I joined the board. I joined it. I joined it for a few. I went for about three sittings. I realized that they had absolutely no respect for what I had to say or or my input. And actually, I still stayed and and rather used it as a learning opportunity to understand how they're making decisions about young people. And when I felt that I understood, I just stepped down. Okay. Yeah. Now, would they say that, oh, they had a black person on? Right. Trying to say, but now, would someone you know, can someone take that away from me as to how the council make decisions and my ability to then advocate, influence, or indeed challenge? And that's critical, isn't it? And it's critical, I guess, for the work that you're doing with with with, with corporates and with organisations and institutions for them to recruit young people, yeah, from diverse backgrounds, is that some of them, I think there's, and this is a lot of criticism coming from the right around this sort of identity politics and kind of box-ticking yeah. kind of stuff, that, that just having a diverse workforce is not enough of itself, is it? It has to be deeper than that. It has to be. And that's why for us, even though it, it would have been easier for us to just say that you can recruit young people from us, we couldn't just launch that and let people just take young people and treat them anyhow within the workplace. So we, we tend to sign more of a tripartite agreement where we're saying that you, as a big employer, yes, if you want to take a young person, these are the things that we will expect you to commit to. Yeah. And at many times that includes what we call an inclusion needs analysis where they have to you know, tell us, not not tell us just in words, but through this diagnostics that we've developed where they at. So immediately it opens up the need for training. It opens up the need for some advisory support, you know, over and yeah. above them mm-hmm. wanting to take a young person. And I think that's important. Otherwise you can actually, you can actually be harmful to that young it person. Can. It I can. Mean, I mean, reten- retention, I mean, retention rates are, yeah. are terrible across a lot of sectors. For, yeah. for, and, and there's a reason for that is because it's almost as if, and I've worked in organizations where it's like, suddenly they have got a bit of a sort of diversity drive and it's usually kind of a force from above and then they get a few people through the door and then they think that's the job done. In recent times with the conservative front bench, it's, it's almost like moved the diversity inclusion debate along a little bit, which is, you know, we've obviously had people like Quasi Quartang and Suella Braverman, people of colour that are actually have made sort of policy decisions that are, are actually negative for people from their own um, communities. Yeah. Does yeah. it have to be the right type of person or should it be just anybody of colour in organisations in terms of a diversity push for you? For you, because I know people have different views on this. For me, that's why I've never believed in just, you know, identity politics for, for what it is. I, I, you know, if you go find someone just because they're a woman or just because they're LGBT, just because they're black, who is doing more damage to that community, then I think you're doing the human race a disservice. I think it comes down to what are they doing to serve humanity, to bring humanity together? And if, yep. you know, if they're a white person doing that, black person, pink person, of course that has a role. But I also, you know, I'm a black man. I know the power of representation also, yeah. right? Yeah. So I wouldn't say that is binary, but ultimately, if there's a black person in post doing damage to the education and, and sort of the sense of cohesion, that, then I'll say they need to be out. And I, and I think, you know, we, we are not a, mono, a monolithic group. We are humans, right? So you need that diversity of thought and, and you know, or, or, or the diversity in the way we do we do things will differ. That's why for me, I'm not linking it back to race. I'm linking it to the human race. So, mm. you know, where the, the, the world has over centuries has come from, 
all sorts, right? Savage, sort of savagery. And we're moving on and we're saying that we, we want to become more civilized, more cohesive, yeah. right? And that's- but because- I, th- I, I think you can see that though, because of your own heritage. Yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of political activists, there is a thing at the moment, I think, and a lot of people, white people are guilty of it, where it's like, there's a, or what I call like a fetishization of, of minority groups, where it's like every single thing that's ever been evil in the world in history and that it's to do with like white Europeans. And, you know, and of course there is, you know, significant, you know, now and historic stuff and no one's, no one's even negating that. But it's like absolutely this, you, you said about binary and any person in history that's black or brown is these sort of innocents that need saving and kind of are, have never done anything wrong. And it's an absurd position. And what it actually does do, it makes a lot of, it forces people, some white people to become a bit racist and a bit Brexity. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not yeah. because they feel as if, oh bloody hell, it's like, and, and actually there's a there's a political the sort of post Colston world which has sh- shifted and changed this. There is a danger, I think, where people lose their perspective a bit on some of this stuff. And you, you know, being in you know in West Africa, you know, do you know what I mean? Do you understand my point? Yeah. This this sort of binary way of looking at things, it, it, it kind of it is is really harmful to society and polarized yeah. views of of looking at things. I'm an Ashanti. I know what we did. I know. I I know that when what did Ashanti do? What when it became an actual trade? The Ashantis were selling right, and and the British were buying. When you say trade, you're talking about the transatlantic slave trade, yeah? Yeah, I'm talking about the slave yeah. trade, right? Yeah. You know, because because then they had an agreement with the with the Ashantis that they would let the Ashantis keep keep their kingdom, and which they were building an empire, which they were building. It was only when they introduced the guns that they started to go after the Ashantis that they were doing trade with. And I'm an, I'm an Ashanti. Now, would I say that, oh, you know, it's only widespread that slave, you know, slavery and because, no, no, you know, there are some other people on the other end. It goes right back to biblical times. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to read the Quran, whether, wherever that it is, slavery was there, right? Now, does that make it any less of an issue? I don't think it does. I think the conversation around reparation should be happening. I think, or, or, you know, the acknowledgement and the understanding of modern modern slavery needs to be talked about. But I, I don't, I really don't think that is healthy to even that that young black boy or or or, or, or young African or indeed Caribbean to let them believe yeah. that you know your ancestors were only slaves, right? Yeah. Or, or your ancestors, or, or the white man did this and the white man did that. We we have agency. When slavery is talked about in schools, which I think is so appalling, it doesn't even talk about you know the fight that was put up by by people. It it, it kind of it just it just makes it sound as if people were hanging off trees and and they went and they said, hey, you know, come sit here, I'll chain you and I'll take you on. There's far more richness to even that story. It's not right. And I, I think if you don't, you know, you don't know your history, you know, properly, it goes a long way to, uh, it just, it just steals that sense of self-belief and, and, and sense that you can actually do something or, you know, your ancestors opposed something or they did something for themselves, irrespective of them being slavers. But we hardly talk about that. Is Malcolm X this or, you know, Martin Luther King said we should keep their dream alive. Yeah. You know, there are people who, who were coming up with patterns yeah. even during that time and, Jackson, all sorts, you know, that, that is a more empowering that lets, you know, the generation now know that actually, regardless of it, you know, um, mm, there's yeah. so much that has been achieved and so much that can be achieved. That's amazing. I'm going to sort of wrap up just a little bit about some of your, perhaps your sort of personal political aspirations. This is the, the 
the there's a quote here, and it's that it's back to that conversation that we spoke a little bit about about where the line is between social mobility and changing institutions, and also you know institutional system systemic kind of change. Uh, Pan African socialist and leader of independent Ghana was overthrown in a CIA backed coup in 1966. He said, "Appeals to capitalism work out a cure for the division of the world into rich and poor." and are likely to have no better result than the appeals of the directors of the East India Company to ensure social justice in India. Um, yeah. You know, they tried, when they were then in India, they tried to kind of put these kind of things out whilst sort of maintaining power. Is that, does that ring true to this day, that kind of argument that he has? I think, I think it, it is. If you read Adam Smith's book on, on capitalism and its formation, it talks about, you know, it's about maximizing profit, it's about minimizing cost, and cost here means that if you can pay less, if you can use less people to do the job, strive for that so that you can get more money. Because it's the view that if 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 you can get more money, then then you know you you, you, can, you can grow you can grow in that sense. I think that's flawed, right? It's, it's it is flawed because what it doesn't account for is even even those people that you you know it, 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 one way or the other is is saying that you will have to mistreat you know to extract profit it doesn't it doesn't speak to the talent what they could have done the ideas that they could have brought about so if you look at you know a true capitalist you know state it, it produces what it does produce so i think at the at the principle level it should have it should have never been given the, the time of day the way that it has. But of course, so long as it, it was profiting um, yeah. um, a group, and 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 if it so happened that that group at that time had the power, when I say power, i.e., had guns and and and, and could enforce, um, then of course they, they weren't ready to give it up. And 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 you know, at the moment, people are in the West and and they're benefiting from that, right? Yes, people yeah. talk about the pension, they talk about BPO, you know, this, this, but, you know, out of every three pounds, uh, out of every three, you know, taxpayers' m money, a BP contributes a pound, right? And where's that pound coming from? It's coming from extraction of oil and their dirty deeds in the South, Southern Hemisphere. We're yeah. not talking about... And I'm, well, I mean, I'm sat here, look, as I talk to you, looking at my mobile phone. It's exactly. Which bits in my mobile phone would probably be coming, extracted from some mines in Ghana itself, potentially. And, and, and the Congo. I mean, Congo. And the Congo, yeah. Pretty yeah. much a stateless, you know, nobody talks about that, right? There is a cost that, that at the moment because of how... Oh, well, that's why you're in an interesting position, though, because most people are quite shrouded from that because we, you know, we, you know, live here, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Or never, but because you... And, and even even people from the black community that have grown up here, because you've, you've, li you've kind of seen the flip, you would have seen the flip side to capitalism, wouldn't you? The losers of capitalism or the, no, I, the other end of it, yeah? I, 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 I know. It, when people talk about, oh, you know what, let's, you know, we, we have to get rid of field site. Where do they think the rubbish is going? Yeah. You know, because just because it's been taken away from, from here, you look at the contracts yeah. and, and yeah. the harm that it's doing for people with absolutely no protections around yeah. or safeguards around it. So uh, for me, I, I think capitalism in itself has fed the political system because there's money that funds that. And now democracy, as we know it, has become a mirror or a, a myriad almost of, 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 how, of how we work to still sustain and prop up the capitalism as we have it. Thank you, um, Poku. It's been brilliant to talk to you. We've gone in various different directions. I hope, um, hope it's been okay. Um, any, any, anything big around the corner you want to give a shout out to that's, that's happening? 
No, really. I mean, all I'll say is that, um, you know, for parents, for, um, you know, you know, community individuals, for businesses that are listening to this, we need platforms such as the BASA to help level the playing fields um, and join us. Yes, even if it means joining us to criticize us or pushing us to get better, but join us. Let us hear your voices. But more importantly, if you know of young people that can benefit, please. And if you can give opportunity because you're an employer, then please also get in touch and let's see the change that we can bring in Bristol and beyond. Many thanks to Poku for joining us on this episode of Bristol Unpacked. And sadly, that is the last of the series. Yes, we're off for the summer. I'm off to Italy to get a suntan and eat pizza and ice cream. And I'll be back probably about a stone and a half heavier in the autumn. Bye-bye. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>